The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Good morning, good evening, good night, wherever you are in the world, whatever time it is, where you are. Welcome to episode 156 of the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Hey, this week's guest is Tara C. Allred. Tara has been writing in multiple genres, thrillers, romance, suspense, even sci-fi. But to say that she is merely one genre or another would be incorrect, as she's more so focusing on her own type of genre, which is the psychologically gripping story. And we're going to be discussing what that is as well as so many other wonderful things like using your time wisely as a writer, how asking what if on real life situations led to her first book, knowing your goals as a writer, the indie author experience, and so many other things. Plus, we're going to be discussing her latest book, a psychological sci-fi thriller beyond the end. It is so great, such a great conversation and so much fun, lots of laughs. And I tell you what, you know, <laughs> something else about Tara is she was so comfortable and so much fun to talk to. She often flipped the microphone or turned the tables on me, so to speak, by having me answer some of the questions as well. Or she had her own questions. It's like it's like she took over the interview. And it was a lot of fun to uh, to really dive deep into some of these questions, which I don't often do. And, you know, usually whenever it comes to these kinds of things, I edit myself out because we're here to talk about the guest. But, uh, you know, this was so much fun, and I think there was so much great content. Plus, I you know, I think it, uh, it's a little bit fitting because, as promised, you, my listeners, my fans all over the world, are first to find out that my next book, A Novel Idea, is now available for pre-order in the Amazon store. Oh, my goodness. I'm so excited. It has been a long road. Um, if you've been following the show for any length of time, then you know how long I've been working on this. It's been well over a year that I finished the first draft, sitting in the theater waiting for Avengers Endgame to begin, <laughs> and uh, pulled up my Scrivener app on my phone and finished the book out then, and uh, then I could enjoy the movie. So it's been that long since I finished the book, and then I just I didn't touch it for probably six months. Uh, before I, try, I started to try and work on the editing and took it into my writing club quite a bit. Just so much great stuff. And, you know, this isn't really the place for me to talk too much about that. But suffice to say, I'm I'm very excited to uh, to make that announcement finally that the book is available. It will be released on New Year's Eve. So uh, you can go in there and pre-order it right now for 99 cents. It'll be that sale price through the first of the year, probably through that first weekend, honestly. But yeah, only 99 cents. You can pick that up. And of course, it'll also be on Kindle Unlimited if you want to, if you'd rather not spend any money. If you want to just uh, give me some page reads, then that'll work as well. I'll make sure and add that link in, in the show notes as well so that you can uh, go grab a copy for yourself. And uh, yeah, I'm just, it's it's been uh I'm so excited. I just, I can't wait to hear what people think about the, about this latest book. Uh, again, it's called A Novel Idea. It's my own thriller. Uh, it's, it's uh, I guess you could say that's a psychological thriller. It's very, very early and I'm doing a terrible job of describing it. So <laughs> do me a favor and follow that link in the show notes so you can find out more. And uh, then let me know what you think after New Year's Eve. As I said, this uh, I wrote this book using Scrivener, so I owe them a whole lot of thanks. Uh, this was my first ever book that I finished in Scrivener. I, I had several books that I was writing in it, uh, several that I had been starting and stopping or you know making notes in, but uh, this was my first official book that I wrote, began and finished in Scrivener uh, using a combination of both the regular desktop version on my laptop or desktop computer, and I also did some writing on my phone. Uh, Scrivener is something that I am a huge believer in. 
It is a game changer for writers. Allows you to track your chapters, uh, move them around as needed. You can have all your character information. You can even enter pictures to refresh your, your memory of what this character or that character looks like. So it's so many great things. Hey, check out this advertisement for Scrivener Writing Software and make sure you pay attention for the coupon code so you can save 20% on the regular desktop version like I did. Jason here. Hey, I wanted to take a moment and tell you about my favorite writing tool, Scrivener. Now, I know you've heard about Scrivener because their writing software has been embraced by hundreds of thousands of other writers like you and I, from the novice to best-selling novelists. The reason we all use it is because of Scrivener's core concept to bring all the writing tools you use together in a single application. And with tools like automatic backup, character maps, project goals, and let's not forget that amazing corkboard, you can see why I use Scrivener every day. As a bonus for Sample Chapter Podcast listeners, use code CHAPTER for 20% off your desktop version. Scrivener Writing Software, built by writers for writers. Yes, indeed. Once again, thank you so much to Scrivener for being a wonderful sponsor of this show. And now I'd also like to thank one of our podcast network friends that we uh, that we became a part of almost two years ago, Pop Goes the Culture Network. Home to about a dozen other podcasts everything you are looking for in pop culture whether that is movie news uh, comic books wrestling all about the 70s 80s 90s and of course current events in the pop culture world check out all the different shows that they have to offer there including fellowship of the geeks one of their most recent episodes they discuss uh, (laughs) toys that scare the crap out of you (laughs) that's a lot of fun so click that link in the show notes for more from popgoesaculture.com. And I would be remiss if I didn't if I left out my other podcast network, Project Entertainment Network, home to 36 different shows of a wide variety of interests, uh, from baseball to monsters to writing to sports uh, to books, and uh, even building your own opinion on whatever that is (laughs) hey check out this advertisement for one of those incredible podcasts hobbies include writing the creative fiction podcast where each episode is a chapter that is a raw creation welcoming your influence what if a storytelling podcast could be an interactive experience Hi, I'm Mariah Powell, amateur author and creator of Hobbies Include Writing, and I'm openly inviting your opinions on stories I haven't finished writing yet. Launching with my original audio novel, Blood That Binds, visit hobbiesincluded-writing.weebly.com for more about the show and look for it on a podcasting platform near you. All right, without further ado, it's time to get us on over to our interview with our wonderful guest, Tara C. Allred. All right, take two. It is the Sample Chapter Podcast. Our guest this week is an award-winning author, instructional designer, and educator. She has been recognized as a California Scholar of the Arts for Creative Writing and is a recipient of the Howie Awards for Best Adult Book and Best Adult Author. Please join me in welcoming to the show, Tara C. Allred. Jason, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. <laughs> Thank you. Thank, I'm excited to have you here, and I'm, I'm, I appreciate your patience as we start that bit over again. So that's the funds of uh, doing a show. No worries. <laughs> so uh, how are you doing, and, and uh, are you looking forward to the holidays? Yes, yeah, it's um, it's been a busy year before we were talking about both you and my our goals to try and get books out, you know, this year. And so I think um, it's it's been an intense year for everybody. And so it's kind of exciting to just see this year start to wrap up, hear some hope um, over the news and in the world and just also feel kind of excited and productive in what we've been working on this year. I agree. I agree. Now, has you know, 2020 has been such a crazy year, but has this been, has it had that silver lining for you? Has it allowed you to do more writing or be more productive than usual? 
Oh, thanks for asking that, because um, what I've shared with a few people, and I, I wonder if you're in a similar situation when the pandemic hit, you know, when March, when the reality was what we were up against. Um, I love history, so I went and checked out, you know, the Spanish flu and kind of looked at what that looked like and kind of based what I thought this was going to mirror and the time frame that that required for them to hit a pace, place of safety where they could, you know, build that it had passed. And I thought, we're going to be in this for the long haul. And I thought, okay, I don't want to waste this time. How can I use this time productive? So when we feel like we've returned back to some type of normalcy, I can say, okay, I used my time well. And I've been sitting on this book series for years. And I thought, here's my window. This is my chance. And um, been as much as there's been struggles, and, um, and I know that my life has been much easier than many people who have had certainly very difficult circumstances around this year, but I was appreciative of the opportunities that opened up so that I could dedicate more time to my writing. That's, that's awesome. Uh, that's really awesome. And I think that's a really, it's a very mature uh, way to look at things when you can see a situation and then look within ourselves and say, am I using my time wisely? Um, I, I faced that myself a few years back when I realized like, man, I am not pursuing my dream of being a writer. I was spending my mornings watching, you know, whatever I had been DVRing the night before or even playing video games. And I would waste like two hours of every morning. And when I had that kind of wake up call, I was like, OK, you know what? I could be using this time to pursue that writing dream. And that uh, that's when I started doing that. So that's that's great yeah. that you were able to look inside yourself and, and, and at 2020 and say, yeah, I'm, I've got an opportunity. Well, and it's funny. And I don't, I don't know how this fits with your life, but for me, you know, you always say as a writer, okay, if I just had space, if I just had less interruptions, if I just had more time, you know, you make this list yeah. of the, the reason why I'm not writing is this and the pandemic hit and all those excuses were now gone. And I'm like, <laughs> I have all those things that I said I needed and so if I don't do it now it's now or never like I'm never going to have this opportunity and if I can't get past if, I, if those were just excuses they're gone so I can't justify why I'm not doing it now <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that and that's something you know and I and like you said everybody's circumstances are different and for me it was one of those things of I was always thinking like well maybe when I retire and I have more time and it was just kind of that wake up call, like, you know what? I have time. I can do this in the morning. I'm, I'm not gaining anything watching reruns of, mm -hmm. you know, Gotham or whatever it was <laughs> that I was watching then. And I was like, let me do this instead. And gosh, I have no idea how Gotham ended. I, <laughs> I, I, and I don't feel like I really missed out either. Uh -huh. so. <laughs> uh -huh. Well, and when you're creating, it's, it's interesting. Um, and that was one other thing. I mean, just to, I mean, I know we're not going to spend this whole podcast talking about the pandemic, but one really interesting thing, and I have shared this with a few people, and I think it's something to be mindful of. Um, you know, when the pandemic hit, many of us had that kind of what, what's really happening. There was a lot of fear going on. We were, um, the news stirred even more of that fear and just going to the grocery store, you could feel that. And so you feel like you don't have a lot of control. Um, but when I sat down to create, I felt control again. I felt like there was some aspect of my life that I did have some ownership on. And I found that that became a powerful coping mechanism to handle the unknowns that were stirring up all around us. And so when I was creating, life was okay. And then when I hit lulls where I couldn't create for various reasons, or I'd hit a stopping point in the process, then all that uncertainty and unrest came back. So it was really interesting. I'm like, wow, create the, the power of creativity can be very healing and helpful and um, supportive when we're going through challenges in life that we can have that little realm of control if we take time to just engage in the creative process. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, do you find when it comes to your creativity, um, are you able to do this at home or do you find it helps to get out and go places or yeah, there, there are some people who can just sit in their, their office space, their writing desk, and it's just coming off the top of their head for whatever it is, you know, whether it's a, a space adventure, sci-fi or a, a romance or whatever. And then there's others who they need that inspiration. They need to go to a coffee mm -hmm. shop or they need to go maybe on a little trip somewhere. Mm -hmm. Where that's do you funny. fall into that? Yeah. yeah, that's funny that you bring that up. Um, my early writing, I loved libraries. Like that was, uh, people couldn't 
you know, you, you had less interruptions at libraries. So that was my writing place. And then uh, life changed and I had my office space that didn't have, um, I could control the interruptions better. So I had my office space, but I still, my office space is inside my home. And so there's still, you know, the day-to-day -day routines and there are some distractions that you still can find. Um, whether they're people intruding or yourself saying, oh, let me just take care of this first or let me do this or, you know, the fridge is a little bit closer. And so I was like, ah, I really want to be back at the library or I found this awesome uh, grocery store that had an upper cafe area with free Wi-Fi and, you know, great oh, wow. right environment. So, yeah, wonderful places. But COVID hits and all these places are shut down. My favorite place is the library I can't go to because they were limiting people lingering so suddenly I'm confined to my office space that I thought would be the dream environment and I'm like man this is really hard and um, I don't have children but I do have two dogs that think they're my children and so um, <laughs> my favorite time is to write in the middle of the night because there's no interruptions but they started to pick up on me waking up in the middle of the night to write and they decided to adjust their playtime schedule to my nighttime and that was really upsetting to me. I'm like, I'm not waking up in the middle of the night to, to play with you. Like, this is not. Um, so what I found was I, we'd recently, my husband and I had recently moved in the last uh, year and we live close to, we live in Utah and we live close to, it's called Antelope Island. And it's beautiful. It's uh, an island in the Great Salt Lake and there's a, a road that takes you out there and so I have just found that that's been like my retreat I'll I don't have power so I go as long as my laptop lasts and I resort back to pen and paper but it's a great place to generate ideas to work through plot holes um, to kind of create a deal de delve deeper into the themes so to your question I thought I was one way. I tried to force myself to be another way. And in the end, I've come back to the more I can get out in nature and be away from interruptions, the better I feel like my writing starts to go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's amazing how, uh, like, I remember my first attempt at writing was like in the early 2000s. Uh, my wife had joined the military and I became the stay-at-home dad. Mm -hmm. And I was taking writing classes and I thought, well, I'm home. I can put the kids down for a nap and I can go write. And I was taking classes and doing things and I hardly, I didn't really do any writing. It was hard to try and manage my time. And, and when I did have time, I really didn't want to write. I wanted to, other mm -hmm. things were calling my attentions. And now it's, I find myself in the car on my, uh, on one of my devices, whether it's my laptop or even my phone and I'm doing my, some writing and, I'll just connect to Scrivener and pull up my writing. And and long as I can get my mind in that mode, then I am oblivious to what's going on around me and I'm I'm back into it. And it's like, wow, who'd have thought? <laughs> That's awesome. Now, are you are you capturing it audio wise? Like are you driving and capturing it audio or are you able to just no, that's um, your capsule of safety of, of interruption? <laughs> Uh, no, that's about it's the same thing. It's I need to get away. Mm -hmm. uh, I would try to write at my work office for lunch, but as long as somebody would see that I'm there, then they'll come by, come by the office mm -hmm. or something. So mm -hmm. I'll leave and I can handle a phone call because it'll, it'll transfer over to me and I can say, I'm not in the office. I'll be back from lunch here at this time. Perfect. I can call yeah. you back then. Uh, so I'll go and actually now since the library is still not open, but their Wi-Fi is still on. I can park at the library and connect to my uh, connect to Scrivener on either. If, if I do my phone, I can do that from anywhere, but I like using, I have a portable keyboard and my um, iPad and I'll connect to their Wi-Fi and, and uh, write for about 30 minutes or so. And then, and then trek back to work. And that's brilliant. That's, that's a great, great Plus, tip. Plus, if I sit in my Jeep, then I can have a cigar and nobody's bothering me. <laughs> they, they look at you weird at the library when you pull out a cigar. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, so now you have been writing since you were five years old, and that, that was when you first decided to write a book. Uh, do you remember what that book was? Or did you write it? Oh, yeah, I still have it. Yeah. Oh, it's, that's awesome. <laughs> so I, I share this story all the time, um, but I was reading when I was young. Uh, my dad and sister taught me when I was like four years old. And so I was reading everything I could get my hands on. And then my mom said, when I was five, she said, hey, we're going to go to the library and we're going to um, see how books are made. And I thought, oh my goodness, like 
this magical world. I'm finally going to get to see how this is done. Like I've loved these things and now the magic is going to be revealed. So I distinctly remember going down the steps and peering down to have this big reveal happen. And I was shocked to see that it was people that I saw. And at five years old, that was the magic was revealed it was people behind these books and I didn't know that and so I thought well (laughs) if people are behind it then I want to be part of that and lo and behold it was actually a book making workshop and they were putting together these empty books like cute little books so I came home with my empty book you know nice little uh bound book that would made and I went to work and I wrote my first book right then and it was I love my mom and then a year <laughs> later, I wrote the sequel, which is I Love My Dad. Um, but the funny thing is, at five years old, it was all helping my mom with chores. Mm-hmm. And the six-year-old one with my dad was all adventures and playing and doing all this fun stuff with him. So uh, that's a sad little uh, reveal of what I saw. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. The, the truthfulness of youth. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but that's so sweet though and you still have them so that's yeah <laughs> and then every year in school we would have an assignment for you know write a book and so I have one each year sub- subsequent to that that I wrote um yeah so fun fun memories fun beginnings uh fun passion um I always say now if I could go back and tell my five-year-old self what it really means to write a book I may have changed my tune but <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. So now uh, going forward, uh, you you won a writing contest with a publishing company and you got to put your first book out. Tell us about that book. So um, my first book, um, I got the idea when I was 16 years old and I'm very slow at writing. I'm not a fast writer at all. Um, But when I was 16, I read an account of a true, a true account of a situation and it just um, resonated with me there. It just something didn't seem right to me. So I thought, what if someone else had come in and handled that situation differently? And so that became, the character started to emerge and I had this idea. And so for 10 years, you know, I mean, I was going through college and life and, but I was dabbling with this story. Um, And so 10 years later, I finally had a complete manuscript and um, I did submit it to a mid middle size publisher and they did pick it up. And so it was um, published with them. And then um, it took me 10 years later to get the next book to a place where I was ready to publish it. And that was the one I submitted to a, another publishing house as a contest and it won. Um, so I was feeling, hmm. you know, like, I mean, it took me 10 years. So there's been a lot of uh, challenges along the way. Uh, but then they were with me for 18 months. Uh, we had some editors um it actually was going to be a sequel to my first book so I was starting to like build up uh my followers from my previous fan base before and things were going well and then they went out of business just to the nature of Uh, a lot of publishing companies um mm -hmm. smaller ones weren't able to to manage the difficult time that was changing in our environment right at that time it was um 2012 to 2013 and ebooks were really starting to take off at that time and so since I had a enough of a little stir a little fire that was burning and I was close to having the book out I finally said okay I guess it's time to take the plunge and I went the indie author route and I loved it I mean it's definitely a learning curve constantly. You wear so many hats as an indie author and there's things I'm learning and will continue to learn that I probably would have never learned under other circumstances. Um, but it's it's fun. You feel a lot more connected with your book. And I what I do like um, is that I did have those experiences with some publishing houses. Um, and the good thing for me was I got to see kind of behind the scenes and what goes into producing a book. And so that was very educational. I feel like I kind of um, had the opportunity to get an education in the industry. And that helped me as an indie author kind of set my bar for what I want with my books. Um, and it's it's hard. It is. I mean, it's very hard because like I said, you're wearing so many hats and you're learning what you need to outsource and what you can still hold on to. And and it's a continuously a learning process. Uh, earlier, we, we mentioned, Jason, you and I, that, you know, that 
these things keep changing. Like you, you put out a book and you're like, okay, this is how the, the indie author, the industry, just the publishing industry in general is. And then if you come back two or three years later, some of those great resources <laughs> yeah. you use don't work or, you know, there's yeah, now this yeah. that's popped up. And so it's, it's yep, very fluid. Or, yep, yes, completely yeah. change it. <laughs> <laughs> um, my prior to this year where um, I put out a novella and a, and a novel um, that I'll talk a little bit more about here but prior to that in 2017 was my last published book and there was this amazing site that had come out for indie authors and it was just a game changer for me and I'm like I got this now from here on out like I, I, I've got the vision like this is sweet well it was such a great service that some traditional publishing houses picked up on it and they said, oh, this is a little too resourceful for the indie author industry. So they <laughs> ended up buying it out and taking that uh, resource away. And yeah, and now I'm like back in the grind. I feel like I'm starting over a little bit because that wonderful resource is no longer oh, available. No. So yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm not sure how your experience was when you were with the, the publishing house, but in my experience and my surprise really when i started this show my initial idea when i started the show was i'm just going to talk to indie authors because mm -hmm. we like you said we wear all the hats mm -hmm. we we're doing it all and i quickly realized how naive that was because I, I realized you know there's a lot of and I, and I know several traditionally published authors as well uh, who it's still up to them to do most of the marketing mm -hmm. uh, unless your name last name is king yeah <laughs> or you have a book about a wizard boy uh, <laughs> they're not going to you know put your your name out there they're not going to do a whole lot of marketing for you and so it's still up to the authors 99 percent of the time to do all the marketing and, mm -hmm. and uh, spread the word about the book and I definitely learned that the hard way when I was with um, these other places is, oh, wow, it really does rest on you. And um, and mine was years ago. And, and, you know, even within those companies, things have changed. Well, one went out of business and the other ones changed a lot. But um, what I found is in some cases, especially for me in those early years, they actually, for my experience, were a hurdle. Um, I wanted books at a, this was when, back when we were doing lots of uh, bookstores were still around like more than just the big box ones and um and I had a signing set up with them and the book my publisher couldn't get the books to them in time and you know that was a real oh, stumbling man. block you know that was really and I'd set it up and I had a lot of it was my first book so I had a lot of people I had brought to that event and um and yeah, I mean, those are, and, and again, you know, that everyone's experience is different and I have to really be mindful of that. Some people have fantastic experiences with traditional publishers that they're, it's not a one size fits all. And I think um, what I've learned is it's really important to find out what an author's goal is and to really hone in. Um, I went to tons of workshops and listened to a lot of uh experts that present stuff and you know there's all sorts of webinars and things you can attend and one of the challenges I find is they make assumptions on what your goal is and they try and tell you that you have to have this or you have to do this or if you don't do this then you're not this and and I think that's not really fair because we all have different reasons why we're writing and what's motivated us and what our goals are and you know it's easy to say yeah we all want to like do that bestseller that's going to you know do all this and this but first off that's not realistic and the industry's changed so much through the years that we need to pause and say okay why are you doing this and if it's just for money it's probably not the right reason I mean some of you yes you can go that route but it's a different route and it's going to give you a different sense of fulfillment and then others are doing it for other reasons so how do you go on your own personal journey to receive the fulfillment you want so that you can be proud that you're doing this that you're enjoying it you that you're enjoying yeah. the journey and not getting lost in other people's goals for you yeah i exactly i i completely agree and and the the indie experience has been so rewarding on so many levels mm -hmm. and i i really enjoyed um the aspect of trying to figure out okay there's an event coming up how many books do i want to order for this yeah. um you know and it's like and how many can i afford <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like how many do i need versus how much can i afford and then will i you know, will that number be right or not? And no matter what, make sure I've got enough bookmarks so that if, you know, 
that wonderful thing happens where you do sell out, at least you get bookmarks you can hand out and here you go, go find it on Kindle or something like that. But it's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a fun experience uh, being an indie author. It is. And, and uh, just to add to that, one of the neat things I've learned through the years is, um, you know, sometimes we get lost in the numbers game and that's kind of tragic because really um, being an author is a very intimate experience with your reader. I mean, that's what other entertainment do you have that's just so one-on-one? You know what I mean? Like mm. a movie, you've got all that audience there, a painting, you know, people can come and go very quickly. Uh, music, you've got, you know, it can be out there for everyone to hear. But book, when you're reading a book, it's just you, the reader, and that author in that moment. That's the, the everything stands still. And it's just kind of the two of you having that that connection basically. And so I've really had to pause and say, get out of the numbers game and recognize that each person, each number represents a person and some readers it's going to connect with them. Some it's not. And that's okay. Like it does, it's not supposed to connect with everyone, but when you find that reader, like to me, nothing's more rewarding when you read a review as an author that you're like, that was my reader. That reader got what I was trying to do. They read the book that I wanted to write like we connected in a way and that's to me the real reward yeah it's a very intimate experience uh, with somebody who's a complete stranger and Mm -hmm. faceless person and when you get that review or maybe a a letter um, email or something from somebody talking about what your book meant to them is just really amazing Well, uh, so now you, you kind of alluded earlier, you talked about your, your book from uh, 2017. Uh, I'm guessing that's uh, Helping Helper? Yes. Uh-huh. Tell us about this. So um, Helping Helper was just a fun little book. Um, I think I'm progressively getting to the point where I'm starting to free myself to write the books I want to write. This one just was a, a unique one. Um, I got the idea, like I said, I'm a slow writer when it comes to these things, but when so Sanders Starfish was my very first novel that got published but while it was with the publisher and they were working um, on stuff to to get it ready to be released I went to this small town in Utah it's called Helper Utah and it was once a booming town they even have equated it to similar to Las Vegas uh, for the miners and there was like the railroad that came through and there were all these mining towns around and it was really a booming place at one point and then uh, the mines started to close down around the town and so a lot of them became ghost towns and when I got to Helper I was there in 1999 and you could just feel this town that was struggling it was like kind of feeling like it was on the brink of becoming a ghost town itself Um, a lot of its surrounding areas were and they were reviving the town through art they had uh, this art festival that's once a year and for a week-ish they have all sorts of people that come in. Uh, People, artists were buying up some property to do uh, studios and art classes and galleries because the property was cheap enough that they could do that and continue to build their trade. And so as an author, I also see there's a correlation between an artist. Uh, we use words, they use paint, but we all try and create this, you know, beautiful picture um, and, and we're trying to tell something or share something. And so I loved seeing how these artist community was working to transform the town and create something out of it. And it was bringing it back to life. And I just thought, oh, this would be a great setting for a book. And so I started my story back in, um, 2000 it was like uh, 2002 2003 just started working on it but I was such a young author at the time and I had so much I didn't know and anyway so I took the manuscript away and then years later I pulled it out it was actually my first NaNoWriMo experience in 2015 yeah and I actually won that one because I had enough that I'd worked on that novel so I you know, started over for NaNoWriMo, but I had all these notes, and so yeah, so that was, so it was fun to bring it back, and um, it was a fun little novel. I wouldn't say I'm necessarily a romance writer by any means, but I do bring in, you know, some aspects of love, so this was a fun a book to kind of play with what love is, and um, had a woman who gets abandoned there in that town of Helper, and she has to kind of redefine herself, and also figure out 
what love is both within that town and within her own personal life. Oh, okay. Well, and you know, what's interesting is the outside person. So you, you were mentioning that you don't really write romance. Uh, but as the outside person, I'm looking at your collection. I see you, you dabble in some romance here and there. Mm -hmm. What do you, what do you like to write? What, like what's your <laughs> preferred genre? Yes. I, ever since I started this, when people say genre, I'm always like, Oh, what is my genre? <laughs> it's so sad that even to this day, I'm like, what is my genre? So if I could create my own genre, this is what it is. My background's in psychology. I love psychology. I love what it means to understand how the mind works, how people relate, how connections, um, personalities. And so that's just been probably one of my passions. And so I thought, why don't I combine my passion of literature and my passion of psychology and put them together. And so all of my books bring in some psychology component um, but like my first two deal heavily with mental illness, um, both from the person suffering from mental illness and then the person that the family, the, the loved ones who care for that person that is going through that challenge. But then I, of course, want to make it exciting and entertaining and bring readers in and that they care about the characters and care about the storyline. If they don't even care about psychology, they're still getting some some entertainment, hopefully. So for those, I brought in some suspense. Um, the second one has some of that psychological thriller, not your, you know, serial killer type, but more of this, what is reality? Um, we go into the, the challenges of the person struggling with mental illness and the reader along with everyone else is trying to figure out what's real and what's part of their mind playing tricks on them. Um, so, so that's very fun. And then my uh, third one, which is the other side of quiet, uh, that one received um, some some awards that I'm, I'm pleased with. I was pleased with the reception that it got in that regard. And that one is more on the nature nurture side of psychology and what is a family, what makes up a family. And so I have different characters that come from different family dynamics, but they're ninth grade students and a murder occurs that has to pull all these students together. And as they're coming together to deal with the challenge that is happen because of this murder they're also kind of re-examining what family means to them while they're also um, among their peers who are coming at it from a different angle as well so that was a really enjoyable one to write and then as I mentioned with helping helper that one I try and hit uh, kind of the love side of psychology and relationships but I again try and make it more of a storyline with bringing in literary elements and hopefully bringing in enough suspense and plot and conflict that it's an enjoyable read for the readers um and then yeah and now i've got this new series that is hitting on um memories and i'm having a lot of fun with what it means to uh share a memory with somebody else oh all right well that's a wonderful segue so let's let's dive into your new series uh the existence series tell us uh, tell us about this Okay, so um, this one has been really fun for me. My background, like I said, is psychology, but I also am just one of those uh, science nerds. I, I wouldn't say I'm a science expert in any stretch of the imagination, but I have dabbled in science for pretty much all my life. As an elementary student and junior high student, I went to a special school that focused on science and math. And so I just, I love science and uh, my other career as an instructional designer means that I get to help build out online courses for students um, that my favorites happen to be psychology based or sorry science based courses so biology and environmental science and I just finished a great one on artificial intelligence and I just love learning about the sciences and so I thought why don't I bring this huge part of who I am which I've never done with any of my other books and start bringing that into my literature. And so I'm like, okay, it's time to start doing a science fiction book. So this is new for me and it's a little bit daunting to definitely be switching genres, but I still carry that psychology with it. And the premise of it is there's these inventors who invent this device that allows people, it's a one-on-one, -on -one, so back to that kind of intimate 
connection where you share your memory with someone and while they're sharing a memory or while you're sharing your memory, they're sharing a memory with you. So for a specified time period, you get to go into their mind basically and see a memory that stands out from their life and vice versa. And so it was just a really fun concept of what would that look like? What does that mean? Um, what's good about being able to share a memory with somebody else that they can experience the emotions tied in with that memory? And what are the dangers? What, what would be the fallout of this? And so that was kind of the backstory. And then the whole series itself is about what happened, what that invention led to, uh, where one of the inventors took it and how extreme he took this invention and then how another inventor decided they wanted to just leave the world um, basically because of some of the challenges that were happening in the world at the time. And then also because he felt like the invention was going down a path he couldn't get behind. So, so that kind of sets the stage <laughs> for the whole series. Oh my. Okay. All right. Well, whenever you, now, whenever you're writing these books and, and, you know, this is really cool. That you're expanding out into a new genre with the sci-fi slant on this. Do you, did the characters come to you first or is it like a situation or a scene? Ah, that's so good. Um, and I, sometimes I feel like it's character. I, my books are definitely more character driven, although I, I, a huge believer in the importance of plot. So I make sure that I try and study how to keep a very strong, solid plot, but it's characters. I, I don't know how it is for you, Jason. I, I'd love for you to answer this. Um, uh, but I, for me, I have dialogue. That's what triggers a, a scene for me. So at the very, very beginning, it's, it's almost black. And then sometimes they might, if we're just starting a, a book, they're almost faceless, but I hear their voices and I hear, I mean, talk about psychology. And I always laugh that, you know, you'd be crazy if you weren't an author, but it's okay as an author. So anyway, I'm hearing the voices. <laughs> um, so, um, so it's kind of in this blackness, but I hear the voices, I hear their tones, I hear their personalities kind of coming out. I hear the tension in their relationships. And so I just have to grab a piece of paper really fast and almost like a script of just writing the back and forth dialogue that's happening and the, the tension that's growing. And then it triggers the well, what caused that conversation and where are they and who are they? And that leads to building out the rest of the book. So, so for you, Jason, what's the first triggers for you for a story? <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. You flipped it on me here. <laughs> uh, you know, it's uh, I, I think it's a little bit of both, but it, there's also like most recently it was a uh, I, I, my wife and I went over the summer on a trip in Southern Missouri and we were driving through the Ozarks and we went down some really creepy roads and uh, we're looking at this and my wife was like, man, you could almost write a story about this. Mm -hmm. And that was enough. It all of a sudden I had the idea. It just, it sparked it. I was like, oh my gosh, yes. Uh, what would, uh, and I think for me, it's, it's always I start with that and then I start going, well, what if, mm -hmm. and, and what about, and how would this, oh gosh, yes. And you, you I start with the questions mm -hmm. uh, and then, uh, you know, as soon as I start answering those questions, it starts coming to me, like the dominoes just start falling mm -hmm. and I can't get to a notebook fast enough to start so. taking my notes. And if it's rolling quick enough for me, then it's, it's time to open up Scrivener, new document, let's get going. Mm -hmm. I think you nailed it. I think that's, it's always the what if, and if it triggers enough interest, like I, I'm sure you're like this too. I get story ideas all the time, like constantly, like just out and about. You're like, oh, that's interesting. Or you hear something. My husband and I love to, when you're at a restaurant, you kind of capture part of someone's conversation and we like to kind of fill in the gaps, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. we have a lot of fun, like building the rest of the story around what we might've overheard. Um, but then I don't know if you're like this too, but I go through a filtering process then like, I'm like, cannot hold my level of interest because if I'm going to be writing this I have to really be intrigued because it takes so much of my time and energy and so you know there's a lot of them that I'm like that's a cool idea but I can't sustain it enough to keep me engaged and so I have to filter it out until I'm like okay this story I can stick with long enough mm -hmm. yeah I will uh, I've learned that I just kind of let it all come out as I'm mm -hmm. going I have an idea like usually I know with the ending and so I'll just let it all come out and I'll follow threads for a while to see if something's going to change. My first book, I had, 
uh, <laughs> I had a character that started to take over the book and I realized it was going to go in a completely different direction. Had to remove them completely. Um, but I saved them in case I, I say, would they come back? Yeah. Would they come into another I, book? I would think there's, you never know. It's possible. Um, I've got it saved on another thumb drive, you know, so that I can, it, it's in another story right now. Just to, you know, your fans happens. are just dying. They're like, tell me who this character is. Let me know. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see what happens, but I, I've, I, I learned that my first drafts, I will just write it all out. I'll put it all out there. Mm -hmm. And then I come back later. Um, usually I like to edit in the evenings when I'm tired. Cause that's when I'm like bitter and like, what is this doing here? Get rid of that. Get rid of that. Oh, this doesn't work. Get rid of that. Awesome. <laughs> so then, I, you know, in the mornings I'm fresh and, and, you know, still in a dreamy state and it's all just coming out. Oh, that's when I'll do my free writing and then edit in the evenings and, and I can be mean to myself and, get rid of it but uh <clears throat> yeah I'll, I'll have big first drafts and then i cut from there that's, wow wow that's cool i like that it's, it's so <laughs> fun i just love how everyone has a different process you know and it's what what you find that works for you and it's even with your question i'm like well i mean i just told you about helping helper and that kind of the setting drove that you know and so it's, it's funny like i have my but for for me the character i have to be yeah like i there's some great plots, but if I can't get a character strong enough to carry it, then I have to just mm. bag the plot. So yeah, huh, very yeah, fun. Exactly. Yeah. How does this affect that a character? Mm -hmm. What would they think of this? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So uh, you've got book one um, of Beyond the End, which is the book we're going to hear from today, and you also put a put out a prelude novella for it called Remember, which came out in October, and that's really cool. It's only ninety nine cents, and and I see that most of your books are on Kindle Unlimited, which I just love because it allows everybody to give it a try and, and uh, see, and, you know, which I, I just, I love that. I think it's, it's a good idea for everybody to give Kindle Unlimited a try uh, when it comes to trying out new authors. So this is really cool. Plus it's 99 cents for the prelude. So you can yeah. check that out. Thank you. Thank you for that plug. Yes, exactly. And Kindle Unlimited is fantastic. I'm a huge fan of it. And yeah. And Remembers is supposed to be a, a fun teaser. Uh, it's kind of the, I have some readers who feel like you have to read it before you read Beyond the End. And then I made sure that other readers didn't get to read Remember so they could taste Beyond the End without that. And so it's just, it's the origin story. If you want to go a little bit deeper into some of the adult characters, it gives you that opportunity. Yeah. How, how many, how long do you think this series will go? Oh, thank you for asking. And I probably need to be better in communicating that to people because I know some people are very adamant they don't want to start a series until it's done. And so <laughs> it, <laughs> it always, I think, helps to know what an author's doing. And for me, I've got it all plotted out. I did um, NaNoWriMo for the second book last year, 2019. So I've got that one that's going to be coming out in the spring. Um, and then the last book in the series, so be, it's be a, it will be a three book series. I did that one for this year's now Rimo um, for 2020. So the last book in the series has uh, been scoped out and the first draft's been written. And yeah, the goal is, is that it all comes together, that the reader can trust that, that me as the author had a plan and that I'll take you on the full journey and you'll you can trust me. I, I got you. We're, we're going to go through this together and we're going to have fun. <laughs> That's awesome. And, and everybody book two is available for pre-order right now. It's called lies. The place lies a place, which is a wonderfully psychological name for it. I love that play on words. So that's, that's perfect. But uh, today we're going to be hearing from beyond the end. Uh, where Tara, where can people find and follow you? Oh, thank you. Um, so there's my website, which is uh, terracallred.net. And then I'm also on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, um, and all of them are just the Tara C. Allred. Wonderful. All right. And of course, as always, we'll have links to that in the show notes. So everybody, when you're listening to this, wait until you're done, wait until it's over. Then you click that link in the show notes so you can find out more about Tara and hop over to the Amazon and just start clicking you know, buy now with one click or click the Kindle Unlimited and download some of these books and check them out. Uh, there's even a Christmas Kisses book 
which is she's a part of. So that's, you know, for that time of this time of year, really nice for you to jump in there and grab one of those. Just check out all her books. Trust me, it's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> Thanks, Jason. And I'll add one more. You're great. And I thank you for sharing that. And if people want a, a free book, uh, go to my website. There's my contact newsletter. Sign up and you'll be sent a free ebook. So wonderful. All right. <laughs> that's a great that's a great plug i love it all right everybody well it's time for me to sit back with my coffee and uh join in with the rest of you as we listen to our guest today tara c alred and beyond the end book one from the existence series this is a chapter one um and it's told from the point of view of leilani and she is a a teenager but i'll just dive right in and um this happens after the origin story that I talk, talked a little bit about. Um, so she is oblivious to anything that took place in the Remember novella. Okay, chapter one, Leilani. The rose and yellow sky stretched out over the horizon. The sun was still hidden below, yet it was coming, acting as an offstage spotlight, casting an amber glow towards my family's island. I loved this spotlight moment the colors mixing across the sky, the light calling attention to the jutting and cutting of the cliffs off in the distance. In moments like these, the island felt larger than it was, the brilliance adding a new dimension to everything, leaving me with hope that I could make it another day living here. My oldest brother Clark liked to tell me how good I had it, me, the firstborn after the world ended. Technically, I was born before the world ended, but not by much. Therefore, I was always lumped into, into the after group. My sister Caroline was six years older than me and the last of us born in the before group, a big divide between me and all my half siblings. Our Labrador Huck found me sitting on the beach. He brought a stick, commanding my attention with his wagging tail and demanding bark. I willingly succumbed to his pleadings and stood up, picking up his stick and tossing it along the Crescent Beach. From our house, I came down to the spot every morning, sometimes to think, or to daydream of going someplace else, or just to get away. All my other siblings were married now, living on other parts of the island. It was just me and dad and mom, and sometimes that was still too many people. Dad cleared his throat behind me. With even greater exuberance, Huck returned the stick to him. Then dad did his trick. He took the stick and threw it so far into the patch of trees and bushes that it would take Huck a good 20 minutes to locate the right one. Huck was a loyalist. Unwilling to settle for anything other than the original stick he'd initiated his playtime with, which meant dad wanted this time undisturbed. He was here on mom's errand, a reprimand for me, which all three of us knew would be softer coming from dad. I didn't face him. Instead, I let the waves bury my feet in the sand while I looked out toward the horizon. The sun now shone on my face. Hi, sweetheart, he said quietly. I was glad mom had sent dad. He would talk respectfully to me, whereas she would expect blind obedience, like she was still speaking to a little kid. I still chose not to look at him, but I did give him a nod. I came down to track the swells. Even amid his assignment to reprimand me, his tone sounded pleased. What have you found? I let silence carry for a bit as I performed a count. Four feet at 10 seconds. He let out a chuckle. Nice job, scientist. I didn't want to look at him. I knew his purpose. Instead of smiling, I closed my eyes while I waited for him to accomplish his task. He breathed loudly. Finally, he said, you know why I came to talk to you. I figured silence was my best response. With my eyes still closed, I folded my arms over my chest. He acted like he needed to find the right words, leaving me with the supposition that mom had nagged him to step in and parent me over our fight. It began yesterday afternoon and worsened this morning. When he at last spoke, the words came out choppy. You shouldn't have talked to your mother like that. I gave in and opened my eyes toward the blue sky. It took a lot of willpower to hold back the exasperated huff building inside me. But placing a fist against my hip, I succeeded. The best thing I could do was educate him on the full story. Dad, she wants me to be like Violet and Grace, and I'm not. He didn't respond, but his, his tactile silence did cause me to look at him. He kept waiting until I dropped my fist to my side. We stared at each other for a bit. It was almost as if I could sense the inner workings of his mind. He acted as the island patriarch, the mediator of any family divides. 
So I figured he needed a moment to choose his words wisely. Even though mom was wrong, he was going to feel obligated to side with her. However, my theory was if he understood the full story, he'd secretly want to agree with me, even if he couldn't out loud. And with his granddaughters, Violet and Grace, even though I was right that they were light-minded in what they thought about every day, dad wouldn't be able to say anything unkind about them. By the time dad actually spoke, I concluded I could have done a faster job of writing his mediation script. You don't need to be like Violet or Grace, but you do need to be respectful to your mom. My lips pressed together to suppress the huff. Then I proceeded to give him the full story. Yesterday, after school, I was reading The Descent of Man. I thought you were reading The Origin of Species. I finished it. I gave him a shrug. So when I returned it to your shelf, I saw The Descent of Man and borrowed it. Oh, he nodded at the ocean, but I caught the pride that spread across his face. As I have hypothesized, the more details he had, the more support he would give me. So I continued. But Violet and Grace were at the house, and Violet said, why do you read that? So I said, because I like it. And Grace said, I don't get how you can even understand that stuff. Then Violet said, I only read romance. Grace said, I don't read. And Violet said, well, you should at least read romance. It's all about love and getting together with your man. I raised my eyebrows at him. Dad, I don't want to get together with my man. So all I said was if they learned how to actually read and then think they wouldn't need a man. Although he didn't share a smile with his mouth, he did with his eyes. Your mom said you said a few other words too. Only after she told me to be careful what I say and that right now I know too little about all that myself. He gave a half smile. She just wants you to be open to falling in love someday. Like with who? I tossed an arm toward the OC. It's not like there are options here. His smile disappeared. Right now, you're way too young to be worried about any of this. I couldn't help it. I had to roll my eyes at him. Then, of course, an annoying chuckle followed. I'm not the one who needs that reminder. I'm not the one reading to get together with my man. I placed my hands on my hips and took in a large breath. Then I added, I'm the one that would rather be out there doing something with my life instead of hanging around these immature sub-adults, Leilani. I knew it. Dad would support me once he had the facts, but he would not tolerate any of us engaging in name-calling, and I was guilty. I let out a sigh, my effort to signify my remorse. I'm just tired of listening to Violet and Grace talk about how the only reason they are willing to learn stuff is so they can be better moms and teach that stuff to their children while they stay home and take care of their herds of babies. Seriously, they talk about it all the time. And if I speak up and say I'd rather focus on doing something useful with science, mom gets mad at me. I said, I don't want to be like her. And she said, what, be a mom? And I said, yes. And she said, then I might as well give myself a life sentence of despair and misery. I doubt she said those exact words. Dad also wouldn't allow for exaggerations. Guilty again. There's a whole life ahead of you. He kept his words calm. You still have plenty of time to figure out what you want. And I think in time, you will find you want a collection of multiple things. I scowled at him. The reprimand was only leading us toward the bigger issue. I turned back to the water and spoke to the waves. I want to do something good with my life. And you will, Leilani, he said softly. What I plan to do with my life doesn't involve me staying here on this island. He drew in a long breath. He did this every time I brought up the suffocating feeling I felt. Every day, it just seemed to grow more intense. But each time I mentioned it, he would pull in a big breath of air and let it circulate through his lungs like he wanted to delay talking to me about my real concerns. Like he was just trying to say what I'd already heard others say, that I was lucky to be alive and that I was lucky to have a place to live, even if it was just this island. He shifted to the left where a wave crashed against some cliffs in the distance. You're right, Leilani, you will do something good, he said, something great with your life. But what you are destined for involves great things on this island. No, I moved to place myself directly in his line of sight. I put my fists on my hip, then I tilted my head out toward the horizon. I want off this island. He said nothing. Instead, he looked past me. Finally, he said, you already know what I'm going to say. You know there's nothing more out there. Again, I shifted, standing almost on tiptoe to make sure I was directly in his line of sight. My arms folded against my chest. I desperately wanted him to adequately address my issue. How can there be nothing else out there? A movement occurred behind us. We both turned toward the brush. I expected to see our Labrador Huck finally emerging from the bushes. Instead, 
I caught the movement of a larger shadow shifting, followed by a low voice. An excellent observation. Dad stepped back as if startled. I peered toward the brush. Certainly, the voice came again, a bit louder now. There is more out there. Dad gasped. Then slowly he stepped toward the brush as a strange man emerged. He was dressed in a metallic purple suit with an almost translucent beige button shirt that opened at the chest. A mass of blonde hair sculpted into a tassel around his forehead jetted out toward us. Then, in place of flip-flops, his alligator lopers treaded toward us in the sand. You know there's more, the man nodded at Dad coolly. Dad said nothing, only tilted his head to look closer at the man with his orange-tinted skin and his sharp facial lines. Then, as Dad looked at the man's ice-crystal eyes, he gasped again. Asher, Dad said quietly. Hello, Foster. My mouth fell open as Dad and the stranger Asher peered at each other. Okay, there you go. That was Tara C. Allred reading a sample chapter from her latest book, Beyond the End. It is book one of the Existence series. It is available right now in the Amazon store, so you can click that link in the show notes for her book and all of Tara's other books as well. You can check them all out by following those links in the show notes. Like she said, you can also go to her website and get another book for free. Hey, don't forget to also click the link in the show notes for our sponsors and podcast friends alike. If you're interested in my book, I've got a link in there as well for that pre-order. And we will see you again next week when I'm back with Edwin Hill and his latest book, Watch Her. So until then, take care, everybody. This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.